Hello and welcome to the Victorian Gas Lamp, the podcast shining a warm light on the 19th century and most notably throughout the reign of Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Episode 9, Clothes Maketh the Man. Samuel Clements, also known as Mark Twain, once wrote, Clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it always seems a little strange. Certainly he was an American rather than a man of the English Victorian era, but his point does stand. And the United Kingdom is well known for its men's clothing. Anyone who's watched a James Bond film knows of his stylings, even if Daniel Craig was wearing a Tom Ford suit. But for generations, Savile Row has been known as being the world epicentre for bespoke suits. Much is made of what women wear, but what of the gentlemen in the Victorian era? Among the poorer social classes, men pretty much owned their work clothes and maybe something else that they might wear outside of the very long work hours. If they were lucky, they might have something a little smarter to wear to church or on a special occasion. Many outfits were bought secondhand and were actually passed down through the family. So he's hoping that you were the same size as your dad if that was the case. Clothes were mended and patched for as long as possible. The clothes they wore were generally made from wool or cotton and dark colours were preferred because these colours were cheaper to buy and also the dirt didn't show as much. And if you were a younger child, trust me when I say you were never going to get anything new if it could be helped. All you got were hand-me-downs. Your clothes would have been chosen with the emphasis on durability rather than just being any other sort of fashion item. Many children in poorer homes didn't have shoes at all. But it is of course amongst the upper socioeconomic classes where fashion and dress sense give us the images we think of today when referring to the Victorian era. During these times there was no such thing as nylon or polyester and the materials used helped play a large part in the luxurious styling that we get to see over this century. Fur was commonly used on coats and jackets as well as velvet which was also used in the making of the ever-essential hat that men would wear. Unlike the poor children of the era, a Richard gentleman would of course have shoes, and these were always handmade and of leather, just like his gloves would have been. And for the gentleman, linen was the required fabric for his shirts, and sometimes for certain pants styles as well. Lace would be a trim on many shirt styles and some jackets, although as the century wore on, it became less of a styling choice. Aside from linen and lace, the other material used was silk, especially on the most expensive jackets and coats that they owned. The material allowed for intricate stitching and designs and was a vital requirement for many of the fashionistas of the era. 
Of course, as we open the fashion show that is the 19th century, there were fashions from the previous century that came overflowing into our era. The standard styling saw the English gentleman in knee-length breeches which were worn over stockings. And stockings are not quite as we know them today. These ones were long socks worn to a point above the knee. A tailcoat would be worn with the collar turned up and a cravat would also be worn. Most men carried a walking stick for the fashion of it and the hat of choice was a classic styled top hat. In the early 1800s, cloaks were still worn, but these later gave way to the stylings of an overcoat that became the covering of choice. But one of the more colourful stylings of the early 1800s was that of what became known as the dandy. The fashion started in the 1790s, but in the 1800s it was still certainly there for the opening decades, and even until much later, the style was adopted by the artistic and eclectic members of society. Now, dandies were obsessed with their clothes. Tailoring had to be perfect, highlighting and exaggerating the man's figure. The style was refined and slightly understated, yet the aim was a perfection in styling. In 1836, the Scottish philosopher and historian Thomas Carlyle wrote, A dandy is a clothes-wearing man, a man whose trade, office and existence consists in the wearing of clothes. Every faculty of his soul, spirit, purse and person is heroically consecrated to this one object, the wearing of clothes wisely and well so that the others dress to live, he lives to dress. As a dandy, you would have been fastidious in your personal cleanliness. And remember, this is an era when people did not wash regularly and deodorant was a thing of the future. Your linen shirts would have been immaculate and the high collar would have been accompanied by a perfectly tied cravat your coat would have been fastidiously tailored, but be plain and in a dark colour. And it's now that we get to meet Beau Brummel. Beau Brummel was the quintessential dandy, a veritable definition for the fashion style. Born George Brian Brummel in 1778, he was a student of Oriel College and later became an associate of the future King George IV. He came from a middle-class family, but owing to his choice of a flamboyant style and wit, he literally talked his way into the upper echelons of English society. This guy was basically a social media influencer par excellence. If he was alive today, he'd have more followers than a Kardashian, I can guarantee it. He was among those that led the fashion changes from breeches to snug tailored trousers, where you wore a light colour for the day and a darker colour for the evenings. And darker colours, I don't mean black, I'm talking thick, rich greens, burgundies and blues. And that tailored trouser look is one that we have to this day. One of the other big fashion changes he helped bring about was the look of having natural hair and not the white wigs we see on men 
in the 1700s. William Pitt, Prime Minister of England, had taxed hair powder to help pay for the war against France. Why hair powder, I hear you ask incredulously? Well, because hair powder contained flour. Yes, flour. Owing to bad harvests, the price of flour had gone up and the government wanted to restrict the use of flour to more important needs, like feeding their soldiers. To continue using hair powder, you had to get a license that cost a guinea a year. Mockingly, the men that chose to continue wearing wigs were then called guinea pigs. And there's absolutely no connection with that name for the cute household pets. Oh, and as far as I can find out, a guinea, which was about a pound, is as of 2020, about 83 pounds. That's about 160 Australian dollars, or 111 US, just to wear a wig. 100 bucks a year. Brummer went wigless and wore a style more like what today is known as a Caesar cut. Among his social circle, besides the future King of England, was Lord Byron, who I spoke about when talking of Mary Shelley. And in a funny six degrees of separation type thing, I have friends that have a pet called Byron. And it's a guinea pig. <laughs> but back on track, Beau Brummel continued being famous for being famous until his debts caught up with him. Fashion is expensive after all, and fleeing to France, he died of syphilis in an asylum in 1840. In 1845, after his death, he was described by French novelist Jules Barbet de Auvillers, I hope I got that right, as being never unpowdered or unperfumed, immaculately bathed and shaved, and dressed in a plain dark blue coat. He was always perfectly brushed, perfectly fitted, showing much perfectly starched linen, all freshly laundered, and composed with an elaborately knotted cravat. From the mid-1790s, Beau Brummel was the early incarnation of the celebrity, a man chiefly famous for being famous. Like I said, Kardashian all the way. <laughs> the origin of that word dandy is uncertain, although some believe it was a slightly derogatory word from the song Yankee Doodle Dandy, mocking Americans for thinking they had a fashion style equivalent to European styling. The name dandy came about to deride Englishmen addicted to looking stylish. And like you, I get to find out all sorts of weird facts when I'm researching for episodes. Because a term used by Americans at the time for a man who was fixated on his fashion sense had a name taken from Doodle of the same song. They were called Dudes. I'm not joking. The, <laughs> the term has come to mean men in general, but this is where it started. So, as they said in The Big Lebowski, the dude abides. And speaking of Yankee Doodle Dandy, I've known that song since I was a kid. I'm sure most of us do. And one of the lines made no sense to me whatsoever. The opening stanza is as follows. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to say it. Yankee Doodle went to town, a riding on a pony, stuck a feather in his cap and called it macaroni. Sounds strange, doesn't it? It always struck me as odd. 
the upper classes of England would often spend a year or more on what was often called a grand tour, roaming all over Europe, blogging, Instagramming, writing of their travels, <laughs> usual stuff. Many went to Italy, where they ate foods unknown back at home. One of these was the pasta macaroni, and it became such a catchphrase for them that if something was very much fashionable, current, or pretty much getting its own hashtag, then it was termed as being very macaroni. <laughs> a dandy or the more over-the-top fashion fixated man known as a fop who went to extremes was called a macaroni, implying that they were from the rich, indulgent upper class. So the Yankee was dressing himself up and claiming he was of the fashionable upper class European style. Uh, I always wondered why that word was used. Now I know too. But as the century progressed, with natural hair taking over from powdered wigs, hair wax became the norm. And as the century continued, coats changed too. Cutaway fronts with long tails behind them, they also had tall standing collars. On the lapels was an M-shaped notch that was unique to this period. As I said, these shirts were made of linen and would have pleated frills at the cuffs and the front. Your waistcoat would have been high-waisted and squared off at the bottom and could be single or double-breasted. It was around this time that it became more common to button your waistcoat, so they became more prominent in the gentleman's styling. Initially, they had a collar too, but by 1815, the collar on your waistcoat was all but gone, for those in the know. Given that it was London, it should come as no surprise that overcoats were fashionable. With a contrasting collar of fur or velvet, one of the most popular styles was called a Garrick, or coachman's coat. And what of your footwear? Well, in 1800, Hessian boots with heart-shaped tops and tassels were the boot du jour. Uh, but then when the Duke of Wellington trounced Napoleon at Waterloo in 1815, the Wellington boot, with its knee-high front and lower cut back, became all the rage. To the victor goes the fashion sense, I guess. And around 1840, the general trend followed by men as far as clothes were concerned was to wear frock coats which fitted tightly and were around calf length. Along with the coat, men also wore their waistcoats and wore their vests. During the mid-1800s, men actually wore what today is seen as being the provision of women. Corsets. Yes. These undergarments with their whalebone structures and restrictive lacing were used to help enhance the masculine figure of wider shoulders and smaller waist, but within a short time they were replaced by the easier to breathe in loose jackets. So suck it in boys, at least you're still fashionable. And, and you would have worn your hair long, but swept to the sides, so there's no brooding fringe for you. By 1850, Prince Albert's influence on social fashion continued with men going in for far more facial hair than ever before. And mutton chops, you know those big hairy, almost like Wolverine style sideburns? Yep, they came into fashion. So now I'm thinking Wolverine was a dandy. <laughs> okay, no. Collars became high again, and while bowler hats became the style among the lower classes, top hats were still worn by the rich. 
The style didn't change much throughout the 1860s, but a particular hairstyle known as Dundreary Whiskers or Piccadilly Weepers became prevalent. These were long pendant side whiskers worn with a full beard and a drooping moustache. By the 1870s, coats were becoming less fitted and longer, being at thigh length. Moving through the 1880s and into the 1890s, jackets went from being done up to being worn open, with shirts gaining a high-tipped collar. The waistcoat was again on display and watch chains became a visible fashion item. From the cravats of earlier years, men started to move more to the neckties that we're familiar with today. Hair started to be cut short now, and while heavy moustaches were common, it was only the older men that still sported beards. This styling of a moustache and a three-piece suit with a watch and chain was the look that saw the gentleman into the 20th century. The changes over that century were small, but seen from a very long view, there were differences in length, form-fitting styles, and of course, just exactly how you had to have your hair. The dandy gave way to the more conservative look influenced by Prince Albert and gave us that image that we often associate with the Victorian gentleman. There were always outliers though, the legendary Irish poet and playwright Oscar Wilde of course being one of them. Living in the latter half of our century of interest, he was someone that would have been called a dandy by any definition. He once wrote that one should either be a work of art or wear a work of art. It's hard to argue with him. You've got to love his style. So here endeth the episode. My website is victoriangaslamp.com. You can email me at victoriangaslamp at gmail.com with any suggestions you might have for future episodes. Happy to look into whatever might interest you as well. You are the ones listening on Twitter at VicGaslamp and my Instagram account is Victorian gas lamp post there probably a couple of times a week and I do it as a bit of an extra aside to the podcast itself speaking of which the next episode will be out in two weeks so keep a lookout for that and I'll see you next time under the gas lamp